as we approach the end of First Peter, it, uh, and that's coming quick. You know what? We are right at the uh, last chapter, and there aren't that many verses in chapter five. And uh, seems like this study has gone rather speedily, especially in the last uh, chapter or so. Very uh, practical book, as we've been saying, and uh, of course the the doctrine that it gave us in the first part of it. it builds you up knowing who you are, where you're at in Christ, all that He has done and what He has for us and in the future. It's a great God, isn't He? And, of course, as you get into the section where we've been, we've been talking about, uh, we were talking about tribulation, suffering, trials, and uh, then we got into last week about uh, shepherding the flock as far as uh, shepherds, elders, and we talked about sheep, and there was one verse that we didn't finish with, and that's really the well, maybe the best one because it's about the chief shepherd. Uh, we are to be uh, underneath him as far as um, submission. Of course, the shepherds, the elders, are the ones who uh, lead the church and have oversight, shepherd the flock. But it's all under that chief shepherd. And then, as we move on, right out of there is... Uh, really not another section even though it seems like the topic changes but it really doesn't because he's talking about the shepherds that are not to have oversight they're not supposed to be overlording um, uh, the the church and taking control of it they're to exercise oversight but not for any kind of sordid gain or lording it over them uh, where uh, the people are Underneath them, in the sense that uh, they're ruling them in a, in an unbiblical sense, and <clears throat> those shepherds fall underneath the chief shepherd, who is the one that we all are accountable to. And as a result of that, he goes into a section that deals with what is not a popular human characteristic or trait at all. In, especially in this modern world or in the historical world. Uh, the uh, matter of humility is not something that's touted about. Uh, it's not really talked about in the talk shows. You're not going to be turning on uh, a regular TV show and they're going to be talking about that. You're not going to hear it in valedict- valedictorian speeches probably um, or seminars. Um, it's not going to be listed amongst the core values. And if you go to some kind of self-help section, let's say Barnes and Nobles, you will find a ton of books there. But I can almost guarantee you're not going to find anything dealing with a, a biblical humility. Probably not. And the basic reason for this is not really too hard to uh, define because really humility can only survive in the very presence of God. Um, without God, you wouldn't have the Word at all. Um, because outside of God, everybody lives for themselves, don't they? I mean, if we didn't have the Lord, we would live totally for ourselves. And, and we're, we're still dying to selves. We're still trying to, to beat that, and we will till Christ comes back. So wherever God goes, humility goes. And somebody said something like this. You might say that humility follows God like a shadow does. 
and that's a part of him of course we see the greatest epitome of humility in the person of Christ and of course what he did you think of Philippians 2 so we can expect to find humility applauded and people giving it a great hand here in this society as often as they applaud God which is not very much almost never so I've uh, kind of titled this Lowly Mindedness and I've noticed that you guys uh, somebody got the outlines right and tossed them I think I had them up here so good they're not here now yeah. alright they can Andor I don't think things I like that so if anybody doesn't have one just uh, holler at somebody and then we can get them Nondor just gave his away <clears throat> he saw the title and he said I've got to be lowly minded I'll get this away so uh, after we did about three verses last week and what um, the benefits that we have of uh, the pastors as they uh, are lauded the uh, the sheep to watch over, take care of. They're to be examples to the flock. Verse 4 says this, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. And all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Sounds like the song, doesn't it? <laughs> we can sing it again. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. So what sounds like uh, such a negative sense, oh, humility and being lowly-minded and uh, being persecuted and being under a suffering time period and what have you, what Peter's been talking about, um, we see that he comes to this part and he says, hey, you can cast all, all this stuff, all this stuff that's really dragging you, and you can cast it right to the Lord because He cares for you. It's pretty simple, but very profound, isn't it? He really does care for us. They needed to know this stuff. They needed to know. I think He has some really good basics here for Christian living. Uh, and, and in Peter, I think what we have seen is you've seen where... I think it was back in chapter... Where did that Where did that start? Where it deals with um, submitting to the masters, then submission at home, just submission wherever, and then submission to each other. Yeah, of course, you see this again, and now he brings up the one that obviously we're to be submitted to the most, and that's the chief shepherd. He's the one in, in control there, and I think of Psalm twenty three one. What's the very first line? Everybody knows it. The Lord is my shepherd. You could take... I've, I've heard of uh, messages where people have just taken that one line and just taken each word. The, the Lord, or Yahweh, personal God, is my, my shepherd. Right? And uh, we think of uh, John 10, verse 11, where you have the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. 
I know my sheep and they know me. And then in uh, Hebrews 13, just a book, a couple of books over, back in uh, Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord. There he's called the great shepherd. Good. He's good. He's great. Hey, remember that as a kid? God is great. God is good. <laughs> What's that? Because he's the shepherd and he gives us the food that we need. That's right. Hey. And then, of course, in Peter here, the chief shepherd. Because he's been talking about elders and they're in, in uh, leading the church, but the one that's over all the chief leader of it all. So we are to submit, we're to, we're to please the shepherd. And it says here, His appearing, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The very revealing of who He is. And we'll see Him as He is. And He gives that, um, those crowns. And of course, there's a crown of glory. Of course, we know in Revelation it says we place the crowns at His feet. We know that anything that we ever have done that is for the glory of God was all by His grace for His glory. It was not done in anything of our own. And we know that when we see Him face to face that uh, He gives us the crown. They go right back to Him. It's His glory. Um, matter of fact, He alone is the one who can uh, assess one's ministry and give the proper reward for each one. Not only the elders here, shepherds, but all Christians. And there will be some who appear to be first today in our times that we live in, down through history. There might be some that, some that seem to be first. They may be last. And the ones who seem to be the least or the last will be first. It's a dead heat. They all win. <laughs> but anyway, um, the chief shepherd appearing. That's exciting, isn't it? And that is uh, something that we, of course, we, we bow down to this shepherd. Absolute humility. And that's where it starts. Uh, we, we can't have humility amongst other people unless it, uh, we start with uh, humbling ourselves to the Lord. Um, the next verse, then, it's kind of interesting, right there in that section, you younger men likewise, be subject to your elders. Well, he's talking about elders, so that would make sense. And he says, okay, these elders. And the elders, in this sense, could be the ones who are leading the church. And of course that would that would be true, and it could be the the older mature men of the church that are uh, not necessarily even the leaders. But he's talking about uh, a submission there. It starts with the the younger men. Um, sometimes younger men may want to achieve things and uh, may would like to uh, knock out the the older crowd and move right in on them. I think there's a a respect that they are to have. So I think it's it's younger men, but it definitely expands out to all the people in the church. Of course, 
ultimately to to everybody, and that's where he's going in this verse. But um, if if the elders, the leaders, are to as they exercise the control and doing it with humility with the people, then in turn, starting with the the younger men here and all the other ones, they are to be sub- subject. We've seen that word quite frequently, haven't we? Potasso. Um, but the whole of the church there. And I don't want anybody to get the, the idea that I have some kind of a personal agenda here and I'm trying to build up uh, the, the eldership or uh, my own self. I'm just We're just going through the Bible and teach what it says and just, this is the way that God has, has arranged it. But it's it's all ultimately where we submit to each other. Of course, it works in the family. It works at the job. It uh, works wherever you're at, and that's that's the mark of uh, Christ. He's leading. Just, just own little personal things, huh? I wouldn't aware of that. What's something that can easily happen? And uh, uh, of course, that that was officially called the shepherding movement. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And of course, I think it's it's a position where I think one is uh, vulnerable to having pride because uh, he he has a responsibility over people, and but he he can abuse that very very easily. And it's happened. Down through the centuries, it still happens today. It can happen to anyone, and I think that's why that's a a very good text to always go back to. You know, pastors need to read First, Second Timothy, and Titus, and of course, this First Peter five is is really good. Beating the flock, right? That's what they're called to do. Um, Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Be imitators of God. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave Himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Uh, Imitating God. Imitating uh, the shepherd, right? Uh, Walking in love. Giving ourselves as, uh, as sacrifices. Um... 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 
But we request to you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you, have charge over you in the Lord, and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Of course, it goes on a lot of exhortations that are given there that uh, that can be, uh, first of all, to the leaders and about the leaders, but it uh, definitely appeals to to all. And so it's it's uh, making sure that uh, hey, hey the leaders are there, they're there for a purpose. What the Lord has has designed. I think a Hebrews um, chapter thirteen, we were just there in it, close to that section earlier, verse seventeen. Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls. Now this is humbling it as as those who will give an account. Give an account for each soul that they have. That's very humbling. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. So people in the church should be able to uh, get along with the leaders. The leaders should make sure that they're feeding the flock and taking care of them, watching over their souls and praying for them and giving them truth. And so it kinda kinda works that way. Chief Shepherd over all this. And here he's saying younger men and then he says and and we go back to our Peter passage, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. And you think, one another, there we go again. And when, when you're talking about people in subjection and people in humility towards other people, we know there's always a danger uh, of people taking advantage of you whenever you're kind or you extend yourself to another. And granted, you have to be very careful. You have to be wise about it. But when you're yielded to God and you're desiring to serve others, you yourself are not going to want to take advantage of others. Can you imagine wanting to uh, try to get something out of somebody, whether maybe smooth some money out of them or do certain favors for you all the time, you know, and that's what a motive would be? Well, we know that that's really not what we're about. Um, but if somebody does take advantage of us, well, what what we ultimately do is we trust God. We are to trust Him. And, of course, He's getting into that trusting part so, it it comes down to an attitude. It's an attitude of mind. It's an attitude of acting. Action. It's where your thinking really comes into play here. You may not feel like doing this. You may not feel like being humble. You may not feel like submitting. Uh, you may not really want to do that. But it's a matter of thinking right and doing it. You say, well, I feel like a hypocrite if I do that. Well, go ahead and feel like you're a hypocrite because your actions are what count. And then the feelings will come in. A lot of people say, well, I don't want to be there or I don't want to do this, don't want to do that because I don't really feel that way and because of that I'm not going to do it because I don't want to be a hypocrite. Have you heard that before? That's a cop-out. That's all. That is a real cop-out. It's not about feelings. It's about what you know to be true and you act upon it. And as the Lord leads, then maybe those feelings will come. But we know that 
what we are to do is to do what the Lord says. It's a obedience. So people say, well, I don't feel that way. I'll never feel that way. And then I, all I have to do is think, hmm, let's see. Do you go to work? Yeah. Um, when you wake up in the morning, do you really feel like going to work? I just can't wait to get to work. Well, you should have that kind of thought, but it's not always there. There are things that you do all the time that you don't really feel like doing, but you have to do, so you do them anyway. Uh, you may not really feel like cleaning the house, those kind of things, but you have to do those. But you still do it. You act upon it. Well, here's what he says. Clothe yourselves with humility. Clothe. And uh, that's kind of an interesting word because it it means to tie something on yourself with a with a knot or a bow. You know, tied up. It was like an apron, really, is what it was appealing to. Put an apron on you and tie that up with that knot or bow. It's like a work apron. You put it over your clothes so your clothes won't get dirty, right? <laughs> so if we put on humility, right? Uh, and the idea behind this is, is a slave. It's having uh, A slave would put an apron on when he would go about his uh, duties. So in order to keep doing that, he would put this on. Well, a slave is considered to be of humble service, isn't he? So put on the apron of the slave. Yeah, town. Yeah, that's right. What an illustration! Matter of fact, that was going to be the next one. Right there, John 13. <laughs> no, no, that's that's exactly. Don't be apologizing. That's where we're going. You you got you led right into it, and we could read that. You guys are familiar with that, though. The night before his death, as he uh, as he gets down and washes their feet, and just as perfect illustration as one could ever have. Then you have to think of uh, Philippians chapter two, and of course the epitome of humility is. is Jesus and what he did and coming here to earth and dying on the cross and ultimately he will show that he's Lord though but in the very first few verses of chapter 2 therefore if there's any encouragement in Christ if there's any consolation of love if there's any fellowship of the Spirit if there's any affection and compassion if there's anything like that happening at all make my joy complete by being of the same mind, there you go. It's thinking, right? Thinking of what God's truth is. Maintaining the same love, maintaining that. United in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness, there we go, lowliness, selfishness, or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. This is definitely unique kind of teaching in that world at that time and at any time. And that is unheard of. Matter of fact, you would have been considered weak if you would have been there for the interest of others. Now, there have been some outstanding cases down through the years where people have given themselves up for certain people, certain things, but that is really not the norm. It goes against our brain. It goes against our flesh. Everything that we know, we want to satisfy ourselves. And Of course, there in Philippians, Paul just laid it out. 
Well, Peter's doing the same thing here. Um, maybe we could go to Proverbs. That'd be a good place to go. Proverbs 3:34. Uh, that's where Peter took some of this from that we just read there out of verse five. My version reads a little bit different than what it does in Peter. Though he scoffs at the scoffers, yet he gives grace to the afflicted, the humble. What are some other translations out there? ESV, uh, lowly. That's what I always remember that from. Yeah, King James says humble, right? Lowly. What's yours was? Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. But to the humble, he gives favor. Okay, so he uses humble and favor for grace and such, right? Well, that's and that's the verse we're so familiar with out of out of Peter and kind of arranged uh, maybe slightly different. Yeah, of course, you remember the James passage. James is just before Peter, right? He says really the the same thing. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's right out of that line, out of that song that we sang, right? Um, How about Proverbs 6, 16? The things that God hates. There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven, which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, one who spreads strife among brothers. What's that haughty eyes? You guys have another translation on that? Very first one out of verse 17. A proud look. Haughty eyes. Proud look. He starts right off with the matter of pride, doesn't he? Boastful pride of life. Um, what Isaiah? 57? 15? Thus says the high and exalted one. Well, that's high praise, isn't it? Who lives forever, whose name is holy. He is holy. I dwell on a high and holy place and also with the contrite and lowly of spirit. I live with them. I live on a high and holy place, but also with the ones who are real low. And to revive the heart of the contrite. Didn't it? Boy, does that give you hope or what? There he is in the high holy place and yet he's down here with his humble. 
about chapter 66, verse 2. For my hand made all these things, as the great Creator God. Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit, and who trembles at my word. Here he's talking about, you know, he, he lives in heaven in verse 1, the throne, the earth, the footstool. And I made all these things, God says. Look at this. I mean, great creation of God. Look where He lived, you know, in in the heavens, the high places. But He says, but to this one is who I'm really going to look at. The one who's humble. Try to spirit trembles at my word. That is even better than all of His creation. I believe so. It is everywhere, isn't it? Yes. So, I know you're initially you were saving Christ and resting Him and so forth, but if we disobey this, I'm proud and not walking in humility, how does that impact our walk with Christ? Well, I, I, uh, it, it affects us tremendously. Um, because, well, he says here he's opposed to the proud. Um, and I think this is probably why Warren Wiersbe had a really good quote. Want to hear this quote? I think this might help us here. One of the evidences of our pride, and here he's dealing with impatience, okay? One of our evidences of, of our pride is our impatience with God. And one reason for suffering, which is what Peter's already talked about, is that we might learn patience. Now, does that kind of tie in? A lot of times we, we're not patient with God. We're not getting what we want, what we deserve. Things are not like... So, you know, people will um, start depending on themselves. Uh, and that's how you become very prideful. You, rather than depending upon the Lord for everything and whatever He's given you, that's just fine being content and such. But uh, pride is... Of course, that's, I think that's the biggest sin that we have. That was a sin that kicked um, Lucifer out of heaven as he wanted to be like the Most High God. He wanted to worship um, rather than continue to be in the spot where God had given him. And my, couldn't have been at a better place, could he have? But, um, yeah, uh, Dwayne, I, I think our prayers would be hindered. Like uh, earlier, Peter has said that if, uh, as far as the husband and wife. Uh, if the husband is not obedient, uh, if he's not uh, walking in a humble way and walking in the, in the light of the Lord, um, how's he going to be able to help his wife? Or if he's not getting along with her and because of his pride, then his prayers aren't even going to get past the ceiling. So it does affect us. Even though, are those let's say, are those believers then? Yeah. Um, he will discipline them, uh, and he will bring on suffering. He bring, he can bring on suffering to ones who are walking in the spirit, but uh, especially when when they're not, uh, he will do that too. And so it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with them and their salvation if they're already believers. 
But, uh, yeah, believers can definitely be uh, lifted up. And I think there is a sense where God definitely is opposed to that, maybe not that person, but in another sense, um, there's going to be a disciplinary action. Yeah, you can wrap all your sin into that. These these things that God hated in the Proverbs, it's the very first thing that He listed. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. Right. What's he going to do? That's right. Yeah. Well, he wants fruit. And, he, and of course, patience is a critical fruit. So, impatience would be, you know, because our pride's in the way, and I mean, we'll be able to be filled with the Spirit. So, he's going to teach us patience, but it's going to be really hard you know, around the back of the barn. So, that's how we learn patience. <laughs> Not, yeah, Dwayne. I'm not meaning to talk the time, and I hope this doesn't sound like a silly question, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I've always thought about the learning patience and uh, being impatient in, in, in regard to this passage that's talking about being patient as far as our circumstances and so forth. But is it possible to be wrongfully impatient about our spiritual growth? Because I'd like to be a lot further down the road than I am. I know a lot of that's my own problem, but yet I also know some of it's just immaturity. Is it possible to be wrongfully impatient with others to go? Yeah. Um, some people would love to have it overnight. I would, mm-hmm. but that's not going to happen. It's going to be. It's going to be. It's. It's a marathon, and we'll never get there, really. I mean, you, there is maturity in the Lord, but. Um, Paul realized that he had never arrived, you know, in, in the sense that, um, oh, finally made it. We're there now. But you'd like a little bit more. Well, what it is, it's it's a matter of continuing to trust in Him as He gives us His Word, as we live it out through all the circumstances and applying that Word and applying the Spirit. And it's a slow process. And, of course, there are some people that seem to pick it up head knowledge-wise, maybe quicker than some others. Uh, and that's not exactly how you know God measures it, although that is a good thing. I mean, we, we want to know God's Word. But, um, yeah, we can be... We, we should, in one sense, we should not be content because we should always want to grow more, and that's a good thing. We, should, we don't want to stay there and say, well, I'm satisfied right where I'm at. No, we have more to go. Uh, but we can overdo it on the other side too, where um, and if somebody were to grow quicker than what maybe they should, then what's going to build up? The pride. Of course, knowledge is the thing that puffs up, right? The more we grow, the more we see ourselves. 
which keeps us humble and in in awe of this God that has been doing this. That's right. When when you're looking at him, looking at this chief shepherd, and you're seeing how holy and how great he is, it should immediately see how low we really are and how much we really need him, no matter what. But uh, yeah, Dwayne, that, that's a good question because we should be striving to want to know more. And we, hey, I I wish I knew more. You know. There, there is that sense. Uh, we'll all, we should always be hungering and thirsting after His truth. Uh, but at the same time, realizing that, hey, I'm content with where the Lord has put me, but I do want to continue to pursue Him so that I, I know Him more. The, bi- the biggest way, you have the Word of God and then you have the, the situations that you go through. Yeah. He lets you have like a kind of growth, a top one, but then he tries to teach you what he got to you. Yep. How about Adam and Eve? Does that apply there? Pride stirred Eve to take that fruit. Of course, the pride of life is worldliness, as it says in First John. And this is something that we always are battling against. This is our biggest battle, our self, our, our flesh, right? And it's, it's about us, stuff we have to die to. This is where the rubber meets the road, and this is the thing that Peter's finishing up with pretty well uh, as they have to be in a situation that's not comfortable, time of persecution, a time of uh, a lot of suffering for folk there. And here's how he says to uh, endure all of this. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another and think about where God is at in this. This is how we learn Him when we go through things and we have to depend on Him totally and not ourselves. It's not a self-sufficient thing, is it, being a Christian? It's not self-satisfaction. Um, in Hosea 13, 4-6, through 6, I have been the Lord your God since the land of Egypt. I've always been your God, right? I cared for you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. And they had their pasture. They became satisfied. And being satisfied, their heart became proud. Therefore, they forgot me. They got so comfortable. Look at all the blessings they had. And knowing the God and everything. And they became inward. They liked all the stuff that they had. They were satisfied. And they had become proud forgot the Lord. That's the way that mankind does. Huh? Well, that was out of Hosea 13, 4 through 6. Um, Moses warned the people of what would happen to them, something along the same nature. In Deuteronomy 8.11, when they get their rest in the Promised Land, look at this. Um, then in verse 12, lest when you have eaten and satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply, then your heart, ouch, becomes proud and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt and 
and you say in your heart, My power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. Ooh, that's pride. Self-sufficient pride. A self-reliant pride. Um, a pride can consider oneself beyond instruction. Jeremiah 13, 9 and 10, he says to the people there of Judah, I will destroy the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This wicked people who refuse to listen to my words, who walk in the stubbornness of their heart. So they kind of make their own wishes the measure of what truth is. And uh, it becomes uh, arrogance and pride uh, becomes insubordinate. Peter's been talking about submission so much. It will not submit. It will reject all the very authority, especially of God's commands, His Word. Pride will also take credit for what God does. Nebuchadnezzar is probably the supreme example of that. Uh, King of Babylon. He says, Is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself has built? as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty. While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty has been removed from you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. It's out of Daniel 4. We know it went and grazed out in the fields ate the grass seven years but we do notice that he came back and he recognized the one true holy God he didn't walk in pride anymore but he took credit uh, being made much of his, his pride loving the honor honoring places at banquets Jesus talked about the, the chief seats in the, in the synagogue and and on and on. Jesus talked about that. The marketplaces where they have all the respectful greetings. Matter of fact, uh, what, of course, what has happened to our nation, they want to write God totally out of everything. There is no God. Pride knows that the simplest, I think the simplest solution of it all for its own survival that there would be no God. And that's really the most comfortable situation for them. Isn't it the Nazis that would say the the final solution? Which was really about their own writing out anything that was God's truth. That stroke that I said, I'm not sure what he was back on, but he said something like that in our United States. We demanded for God to be taken out of school.
Um, all over the Old Testament, you see this mighty hand of God. Just turn to a couple scriptures. Go to Exodus uh, chapter 3. Sometimes you know, we think we're, we're upholding things. And, uh, of course, this mighty hand is the one that's doing it all. But I know that the king of Egypt will not permit you to go except under compulsion. So, I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles, which I shall do in the midst of it. And after that, he will let you go. I will stretch out my hand, right? The hand of God. Go to Job 30, 21. This is a chapter where Job has been absolutely humiliated, hasn't he? Remember that? You know that story. You have become cruel to me with the might of your hand. You persecute me. The might of your hand. He knew that uh, God had something to do with this, huh? The might of his hand. Go to Ezekiel 20, 33. Mighty hand of God. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm, sounds like a song, doesn't it? And with wrath poured out, I shall be king over you. There we go again. A mighty hand and an out, mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Might of God. And if He's that mighty, then He is the one who will exalt you. If you're low now there will be a time when he will lift you up as the song sang. You know, so, he becomes Lord of your life too a statement like that always would be part of grace. Thank you for being my Lord. Thank you for giving me purpose. Thank you for eternity. Thank you for just all starts to flow. And that's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. About everything. Yeah. Thank everything. you that your mighty hand Gripped me by my heart, massaging the softness, and gave me a new birth. Thank you, Lord. You know, the, thank you, Jesus. That's right. <laughs> you know, for real. <laughs> this is so simple stuff. We're not getting into really deep theology. I mean, this is basic yeah. Christianity 101. I mean, any any uh, what first grade student should be able to understand. Uh, this in one sense it, because it's trusting in a good God we know that we know that but yet boy do we really need to be reminded and then he balances and he says that he may exalt you you know he's not going to leave us down forever is he he will exalt us so he wants us to be in the situation where we have to totally trust in him and we can anticipate the fact that He's going to uh, he's going to take care of us. He gets all the glory, and he says in verse seven, casting 
all your anxiety on Him. That means entrust. Remember that verse that we read earlier, uh, in Peter here. Uh, entrust your soul to the faithful Creator. Remember that the faithful Creator. Entrust your soul to the One who created this universe. If He could do that, He can surely take care of our lives, right? So casting your anxieties on God means trusting the very promise that He cares for you and He has all the power, all the wisdom that will work in our favor in a glorious way. So anxiety means in the state of being pulled apart. We have anxieties, right? What kind of anxieties? Discontent, discouragement, despair, wondering, pain, suffering, just worrying, all the things you're going through. And that idea of casting all your anxiety is the idea of taking something and throwing it on something. What is What's that? Yep. It's everything. Just everything. Absolutely all. So he says, don't be proud about it because if you don't cast it on him, you say, well, I can take care of that. I'll tell you what, I'll give him the big things, but I'll take care of the little things. No big deal. Now, I'm not, I won't give that to him. No, he wants that too. Just, just give him the whole thing. Just everything. Well, he, he doesn't... He doesn't need to worry about that. <laughs> yeah, I can take care of that, right? And you know what that is? That's pride. Because we can do that, right? We are so totally dependent on Him for everything. And that's really what He's always... Um, I think pride can happen in natural families, too. You know, uh, you know family living, as a child, you know, we may be reluctant to say something to our parents that maybe it would have been better to hmm. have a discussion with them on and, uh, instead of trying to deal with it all yourself. Self. Yeah. Yeah. He's teaching us to uh, you know, give it all, talk with them about everything. That's right. Share it with them. I guess. Yeah. Dwayne. Well, I heard a one time you did He, he trusted in, okay, I'm going to have to trust in this because uh, there's no really other way here, is there? This is what I'm going to do. Yeah, it is. 
Right. Yeah, trust, I guess, would really be, wouldn't you say it's the opposite of pride? It's, uh, I think it's the essence of humility it's just it's, it's because it comes down to trusting God uh, and just casting everything there. Sometimes Don't. we have uh, in the gospel tense too where Jesus will actually, you know, he, he knew what the, the disciples were thinking even though, you know, maybe they weren't talking where he could hear it, but he just knew about So he would ask them uh. about things. You know, like bring it out. And he'd, like he didn't know, and, you know. And, and that's the way God is. He knows our thoughts anyway. He knows what's going on with every thing. So he's right there. We might as well cast away. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh, it's confidence in a in a great God. Uh, I guess Peter's saying here: Don't be proud, but cast those anxieties on Him because He'll care for you, right? Whenever your starts, uh, your heart is really getting to be kind of anxious about the future. We all have that. We deal with those kind of things. <laughs> uh, heart, who do you think you are to be afraid of the future and to actually go against the very promise that God already has? Who do we think we see the pride that hasn't been involved there when we start worrying about that future? Um, I don't want to exalt myself with anxiety because <laughs> I can't get exalted that way. But we are to humble ourselves and uh, just trusting His precious promises. I think pride is the very root of the anxiety. You know, at any, any given moment, uh, we may think well, we have this little faith in certain circumstances or something like that, but we still have faith. There's, you know, we were given faith to trust. So just exercise that. Even though it may seem like minuscule at the time, you know, I'm not believing real good here. Really. So let's, let's get this out. There you go. Let's talk. And totally dependent. So I guess there's kind of a couple possibilities. One is that we feel a false sense of security, I guess, based on our own little power thing or things that we've always been able to do, you know. And we're able, well, I've always been able to do that, do this, you know, our own little thing. Kind of mentality. Yeah. <laughs> it's up to me. You know, grab the bull by the horns, right? Because there is a sense of doing things, but you know, it's always going to be in him. Or, we realize that we can't guarantee our security anyway, so we just feel anxious all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the extremes. Yeah. Hey, close it out here right at the end of verse 7. We're done with it. Because he cares for you. What a benefit that we have because of our relationship with Christ. And He cares for us. Letting Him take care of the burdens. And just think, who wrote this? Peter did. Okay. What kind of things did he go through? Well, do you remember Jesus cared for him in that He took care of His mother-in-law? Do you remember that? He healed His mother-in-law. Okay. Well, that's His mother-in-law. How about all the fish that He brought up after fishing that whole night? And Jesus said, we'll put it on the other side over there. you know, And as the, the boat starts sinking. And then the temple tax. 
Yeah. It's time to pay tax. And of course, Jesus takes care of that. He, he took care of Peter there, didn't He? How about when He was walking on the water? <laughs> we dealt with that on Sunday, right? Uh, Malchus's ear. Peter cut it off. What did Jesus do? Put that back on. Peter could have been in a real mess with that, right? He took care of Peter all the time. Then you think in the book of Acts, whenever he was in jail, you know they, they, they imprisoned him. And all of a sudden the door opened and everything and he just kind of walked out and went back to Bible study. You remember that? <laughs> Jesus always took care of Peter. I think by the time he wrote this, he was starting to get the idea. And um, of course, he had been humbled several times. The one that really did it, I think, was the the three denials. Yeah, yeah because it says Jesus, or Peter, saw Jesus look with him. The chief shepherd he stared right at him. <laughs> like, uh, we got business later. <laughs> you and me. Just you and me. We got some business. That's right. That means I care for you. <laughs> but that's the whole idea. It's for his good, right. isn't it? Right. Yeah, for his good. For our good. And for his glory. Nope. And even if you do, you will be. <laughs> oh, wow. Comfortable things here. Suffering and now humility and then then about the devil. Boy, Peter has a lot to say in a few short chapters. Thank you guys for coming out tonight. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this evening and uh, this Word that You've given us. We know that we've heard it many times, but uh, we desire that You continue to work on us to cut off things that are in our own lives, ourselves, that are hindering us from uh, the relationship that we all desire to have. And we know that pride is uh, that big sin that we deal with whether we know it or not. And we just want to be concentrating on the person of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.